Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Yes, it does, Sarah and Scott. Thank you and live for the NASDAQ market site. This is Fast Money. I am Brian Sullivan in for you once again. And your traders on the desk tonight are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight, the MAGA trade. It has been trumping nearly every other one out there. Microsoft, Trump. Amazon, Google, and Apple. I caught that. Adding more than a half a trillion dollars in market cap already this year. But it faltered a bit today. Can these names keep up their momentum? Plus, don't call it a comeback. Mm. Bitcoin, back above 10,000. Will the boom continue? We're going to break down all the possibilities. And watch out, Apple, because Samsung is pulling the curtains back on its latest flippable phone. Josh gave you a taste a minute ago. He'll show you more. All right, hi, everybody. A big Monday show. I had a lot to get you, but let's begin with Lyft, because shares are in the red after posting results. For more on what drove the quarter, let's go to Deirdre Bosa, who's been listening into the conference call and is more with us now. Deirdre. Brian, I have been listening. And, you know, in the ride-sharing space, we've moved from having a path to profitability to who can shorten that path by the most. Uber, of course, upping the ante last week when it said it would be adjusted EBITDA profitable by the end of this year, earlier than expected. Investors may be looking for Lyft to push up its timeline as well from the expected late 2020 target that it outlined previously. Now, when I spoke to CFO Brian Roberts earlier today, he said that they would be addressing that timeline on the call. But so far, and we're about 30 minutes in. We haven't heard anything. We'll certainly let you know when and if that does happen. So far, CEO Logan Green has said that Lyft is simply making progress on that path to profitability and how it'll get there. Have a listen. We expect to deliver continued strong top-line growth in 2020 while also making progress on our path to profitability. As we've discussed on prior calls, there are three key themes that we're focused on. First is product innovation. Second is profitable growth. And third is operating leverage. Now, CFO Brian Roberts has been speaking on the call for about 10 minutes already and still no mention of any change to that profitability timeline. So despite a beat on the top and bottom lines, Brian, as you noted, shares are down more than 4% in the after hours. Remember, it did rise on the back of Uber's earnings when it did move up its timeline. Now, another key question that's likely to be asked during the Q&A portion is the impact of regulations. While Uber has been making changes to its platform, Lyft is observing them, it says, and focusing on a ballot initiative that could exempt them from that gig economy law known as AB5, which could require the ride-sharing companies to treat drivers as employees versus independent contractors. Uh, Robert's telling me earlier that the company's 2020 guidance assumes the status quo. Like I said, Brian, that call's still going, so we'll continue to monitor and bring you anything if it changes the direction of uh, stock price in the after hours. Yeah, investors don't like it in the early reaction. Long way to go, dear Jabosa. Thank you very much. Guy Dom, yes, let's sir. talk about it. Okay, so you got the, the, the Lyft CEO talking up a couple of things. One of them is profitability. Wouldn't you like all three to be profitability, profitability, and profitability? Yeah, and they addressed this a few quarters ago. And I, listen, I think this was a very good quarter. I think the reason the stock is down is because it's gone from 38 and a half to 53 and a half, basically 
in a straight line. And I think people are taking profits on the back of this. If you look, though, in terms of margins, contribution margin, 54%. This time last year, 45.5%. All the metrics are better. And quite frankly, I think what scared people might be the full-year guide. But I think this is a stock that probably got ahead of its skis in terms of the stock price. It's going to do a little back and fill. And again, I've said this for a while. I don't think it's going back to that 63 level that it failed at a while back. But I think the high 50s is absolutely in the cards. Well, more focus on profitable rides, whether it's airport rides and, and whatnot, are certainly something to talk about. But to, to get away from structural profitability issues that we thought were a big part of this transportation as a service sector uh, out of the gates is, is crazy to think that suddenly we can have gone from a place and the stocks represent like up 24 percent year to date, uh, up 12 and a half percent into this print over the last five days. It's not a huge surprise when you don't get uh, this renewed kind of fuel for the fire of profitability. To be clear, they were ahead of Uber to talk about profitability. They are ahead of Uber. They have a simpler business model, but profitability and rationalization in terms of the competitive landscape between these two folks, I'm not sure is is here yet. You know, know, Karen, listen, they are domestic to Tim's point. They do not have the food delivery business. They're trying to remain stable. But, you know, you look at the analyst community. There's 38 analysts that cover the stock. Why? I don't know. But there's 30. The high price target, the high price target is 90. The low is 35. The median is 65. The analyst community has no visibility into $55 price difference Uh in targets. That is interesting. I think, though, when they're talking about profitability, I think they're getting to break even as the sort of first measure of profitability. And then I think talking about margins is how do they grow this business and grow the margins I actually like Lyft. I agree with Guy. Had it not been up so much into earnings, I think this would have been an okay, a very, very okay. We'll see what he says on the call about does the timeline change any. That's going to be really important. But I actually like it for the reasons you said. It is a cleaner sort of story than Uber. Yeah, I would just mention this. That, you know, Obviously, it's a two-horse race as far as the product is concerned. I think the last thing you really want to do at this point, this far away from profitability, is see these companies tripping over each other to kind of get ahead of their skis, to kind of get too aggressive on their guidance. Because to your point about profitability um, and visibility and investor visibility, and then obviously the analyst community, I mean, at the end of the day, you could, you could obviously um, you know, drive a truck through that sort of sentiment. Um, I just think that, listen, they've laid out their guidance when they're going to get adjusted, EBITDA, you know, whatever that means, because that really doesn't mean profitability, but I think investors want the path towards it. And I'll just say, you know, kind of the last point here is that this stock broke out of that 50 level. It's been below there for, I don't know, five months or so. Um, I think investors are kind of comfortable on how these guys are going to get to that 2021 guidance. I don't think you want to see them get too far ahead of it. It's a weird world, Guy Adami, because you've got this discussion. We talk about this company, you might have heard we can also talk about Lyft. Tesla. You might have heard about it. Sure. Mentioned a few times. Few. And everybody talks in the bull case of Tesla's autonomous cars. They're going to drive us around. We won't need ride sharing. Or if we do, it will probably be in some sort of Tesla or Tesla related. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe that's the existential risk to Ford and GM and the reason why those stocks have traded horribly over the last six or seven years. I don't know. I, and I think you make a fair point. I don't think it's the death knell for the Ubers and the Lyfts. I think you have to decide which is better, which is better situated, which has a better platform right now. And I'll continue to say it's Lyft. Now, again, I think the run-up has been such that it makes sense people are taking profits. But you just look at the numbers. The numbers are improving. You're know, talking about 36% revenue growth quarter over quarter. And year over year, it's going to be about 28%, 29%. I think that's an interesting play right here. And again, 
48 and a half is where you be- get back in the name. But when you think about it, you, you, it's interesting you bring in the Tesla valuation because at least with Tesla, there's all kinds of pie in the sky you can incorporate in terms of their data, in terms of their battery pack. Um, this is ultimately, you know, it's, it's a service revenue dynamic. For them to get to that, that Q4 2021 EBITDA positive, they're going to have to grow trip growth by 20%. They're going to have to grow uh, ARPU, or average revenue per rider, so I changed around a little bit, by 15%. But that's pretty straightforward. Um, it's not a case where you can take you know, evaluation and begin to start you know, extrapolating all kinds of growth prospects. But I don't think you can. Let me, let me make one other point. You know, we're talking about a company that you said, yes, they went public at 72 bucks, is trading at 52 bucks. They put $3 billion in cash on their balance sheet. So that actually preserved their you know, ability to kind of get to whatever those targets are to get profitable. And the other thing I'll just say is you talk about data, you talk about an existential threat to the car makers. Someone's going to have to make the cars that are going to be autonomous on Lyft and Uber's network. So this company, you know, people talk about when was Apple going to buy Tesla? This, uh, this company will get bought by, someday by a massive data company. It could be an Apple. It could be a Google. It could Not be a GM. Uh, well, it could be Tesla. Who knows? I'm just saying, if you're looking to vertically integrate, I just say at this market cap with that cash position, if they can accelerate their profitability, at some point, this is not going to be a $13 billion enterprise company. It's, Brian, I'm not sure if you're aware that, that Guy Adami actually was working oh, yeah. for Lyft at some point. And Guy, I wonder, with the whole talk about employees actually being well, I mean, drivers being counted as employees, did, and you had have you hat. thought about coming right. back to the, the squad? Cracks, they've called me a number of times. I was yep. one of their early drivers. Yep. Hopefully, the crack staff back in EC is searching. Footage for, for the footage because the footage is wonderful. Oh, Here you go. Look at me <laughs> with, with the my look at the white gloves. Now that's what we call white glove service, Brian. Look at that. Just watch. Ooh. What a genius. Sounds like you just. It's great, but at the end yeah. of the day, yes, sir. At the end of the day, and Lyft PR will be on the phone in thirty seconds after. Why? This. Why? Do you Why? want to invest in a taxi company? I, well, I mean, I don't necessarily... Uber's original name was Uber Taxi. Uber's original name was Uber Taxi. I know, so you're being difficult for the sake of being difficult. No, think not. about how... Being dis- difficult for the sake of... Think Good about time. how disruptive these two companies that did not exist 10 years ago are to massive industries, to public transportation, to the auto yeah, they, industry. They've the destroyed driving in New York City, I can yeah. tell you that. Yeah. I can't get a taxi anymore. They've yeah. driven up the price, but it's for another show, maybe. Well, the, the right. medallion business, let's not get into that. All right, yeah. let's talk about another big story, one which I'm sure Karen will have something to chime in on, and that is ugh, Bed Bath & Beyond falling hard. Bed Bath & Beyond is down 21% after hours. After running on sales for its current quarter, I mean, I, I came in, I saw the chart, I looked at you, Karen, I said, didn't it just fall 20% a couple weeks ago? What's yeah. going on here? There's only so many times you can fall 20%, actually, well, forever you can. But, I mean, this <laughs> exactly. was a giant miss again. It was unfortunate because, you know, I thought that, I, I don't own it, I still think just the, the sort of existential risk towards, uh, from Amazon is, is really a real threat. I think I thought there was going to be a last quarter, a kitchen sink quarter, where they just marked down everything, gave you as, as sort of downbeat as they could. Apparently not. This is this is pretty bad. And when you have, you know, same store sales like that, you're just going to have margin compression, which they're saying as well. It's very difficult. I wouldn't. This is a, this is really a falling knife. I would stay away. Anybody around the table? Yes, sir. Willing to take a take a chance, put a bid in. On Bed Bath and Beyond. So a little ABBA reference you make, right? Remember that song? Take, take a, a chance, chance on me. Chance. Take a chance on me. And I tell you, they were very influential in the careers. Waterloo. Ooh, nice. Much wow. better job. Huh? This was or a does seven. Or take it all on Amazon? 
Thank you. Well, I tell you what, knowing me, knowing you, guy, I actually oh, think nice. you have a case well, here where this rain is. Rain it in. Rain it You guys, Sorry. anybody buy Bed Bath and no. Beyond? No. I'm done with that. It was an, it was a seven and a half dollar stock in August. I'm not saying it's going back there. There's a huge short interest. What you want to watch for tomorrow? Does this stock trade four or five times normal volume, which would indicate maybe a lot of shorts have covered and there's room for it to go higher? But to answer your original question, no, you have to be a dancing queen to sort of do this properly, Brian. I just say one thing that's really weird. You know, like they're known for those 20% off coupons. You just walk in, you get 25. Four times in the last two and a half years, this stock has declined 20% after. <laughs> like, that just seems so it's weird. Pretty, it's like, off the stock, yeah, not the merchandise. I, it just seems very odd to But me. I mean, can you hear the drums, Fernando? The gross margin was down 300 basis points, and this is actually a company that was heavy on promotional activity, and in fact, that's what took them down to seven bucks. Uh, the stock has doubled going into this print. Uh, I don't think you need to chase this. This was treated as dead, had rallied because people thought that they'd actually overcome this promotional activity, and what we're reading here is that actually unprofitability is coming through. Yeah, I actually met the CEO at a dinner a couple weeks ago. I said, why don't you come on CNBC, talk about your plan. Nice guy, former school teacher sure. from Australia, by the way. Come on. Excellent uh, hire. True? Also no, no. From, from, we could get into Men at Work songs. And I said, come like. on CNBC. So, Mark, if you're out there yeah. listening, the invitation certainly is open. Love to hear from you. I know investors would as well. All right, on deck. A trade that is making your portfolio great again. And later, what is this mystery stock? And, and why are we going to show it to you? Well, because options traders are betting that prices are going to pop. There's your chart. Money-making opportunities right here on Fast Money. In the meantime, don't forget, no TV, no problem. You can watch or listen to us live anywhere on the go on the CNBC app. And we are back right after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower? The ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. We're getting more details on Lyft and that maybe path to prosperity and profitability or not. Deirdre Bosa, let's go back to you. What are they saying about profitability, if anything? Brian, it was the very first question during the analyst Q&A portion. Would Lyft be moving up its adjusted EBITDA profitability timeline after its rival Uber did so last week? CFO Brian Roberts said, quote, when we set our target Just a couple of months ago, with a bit of a chuckle here, he wanted to be clear that the strategy is to drive profitable growth. He says, quote, we remain confident that we can achieve our Q4 2021 target. So, guys, no change. Shares remain lower in the after hours by about 4%. All right, Deirdre, thank you very much. There you go. Not moving the stock. Still down 4.5% after hours there, guys. If they say something, I want to go back to Lyft just briefly, then we'll move on. If they say something about bringing that profitability target forward. Does it change your view on the stock? Yeah. Or do you have to be skeptical that they're going to achieve it? Just because a company says something. 
doesn't mean they're going to do it. Well, one of the things that, that's coming across the tape here, they, they say that the market underappreciates the metric of revenue per rider and their, their need to kind of get some of these numbers up. Um, it also seems like they're picking on Uber when they say we're not finding that any of our units should be lost leaders acceptable. Um, and so I, I think if they can talk about earlier profitability, yes, because I think fundamentally that's been the issue. We have not seen structural profitability uh, in either of these names until they told us about it. And we've been taking them on the come here. If it can come forward that much more, I think that would be very positive. I would just say this about those targets. Again, I heard co-founder John Zimmer in the fall at a conference say that I don't think that they've ever missed an outlook that they have given. And I think that they want to keep it that way. So it goes back to they laid out this profitability target. The last thing you want them to see is tweaking it quarter by quarter too much. You want it to be something that you think is achievable a year out. And then you kind of put up the numbers to demonstrate on the other metrics how you're going to get there. So okay. I, I just don't think it's something you want to yeah. track quarter to quarter. Not moving the stock. Still down 4.5% after hours. we got a lot more to do on a Tuesday. Here's what's ahead on Fast. In Fast Money World, mega has a whole other meaning. And that trade has been the big driver of the market's gains this year. But where is it going from here? And later, unfriending Facebook. What's causing the stock to drop today? We'll get you some answers. We've got all that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. All right, welcome back. By now, loyal viewer, of course, you know the FANG stocks, but... Have you heard of the MAGA trade? Well, you probably have, but don't worry. It has nothing to do with politics. But Dan, he's been wearing the hat on that trade for some time. Uh-huh. And I just came up with this. We think it's pretty okay. original. We're going to call it MAGA. What? We're going to do Microsoft. We're going to do Apple. We're going to do Google. And we're going to do Amazon. Those Ooh. four stocks, MAGA, hashtag that. Okay, M-A-G-A. Now, that was all the way back in September of 2018. <laughs> and since then... The MAGA trade has absolutely skyrocketed. So, Dan, congratulations. You coined a new acronym. Even, I think, the president is tweeting about this. Well, so listen, Sully, what we did on the show is we made acronyms great again, okay? (laughs) And so this one was really interesting. Listen, Ah. the point here was that those four companies, given the moats that they had, given the profitability, given the momentum, given everything you want to say, we all knew they were special, okay? But 
at that point in the fall of 2018, it became very clear to me that sentiment was getting a little hot on those things. Valuations were starting to pick up a little bit. And what happened? My view then was if they all trade together, then the market's going to follow with them. That is what happened in Q4 of 2018. But there's been other periods since I think the summer of 2019. They all started kind of trading together. Amazon obviously was a bit of a laggard. But just look at this year and look at the performance of the four names. They're all up between 10 and 18 percent driving the massive amount of performance in the S&P 500 at a time when there's a lot of headwinds to growth. There's a lot of headwinds to kind of owning equities and, uh, you know, interest rates aside. So to me, I think you just really want to kind of stay focused on the concentration of it. I know, Tim, you think that obviously there's been ominous periods of time when a few stocks have a lot to do with a lot of the performance, that sort of thing. To me, that's really what you want to focus on. Well, in fact, I, I, let's pat you on the back again. We, we talked about this. You talked about this in the, the fall of 2015 when we were seeing those same four stocks effectively be the leadership that was people running into capacity because global growth was very much in question. And, of course, the markets caved in the first uh, two months of 2018. 16. So um, I don't know if this is foreboding. Um, certainly these companies all just announced, every one of them blew the cover off the ball um, as they announced their 4Q numbers. And in fact, they, they guided up. But I wonder, Karen, if we learned something today. Because bring up that, that graphic again, guys, where you showed half the MAGA trade was up and half was down today, right? We pretty much split. You look at the market, that's what happened. The NASDAQ 100 was yeah. up 0.01%. Did we learn today? Karen, that unless all the MAGA stocks participate, it's going to be hard for the overall market to do anything. Well, last night, if you happen to miss our show, you missed a really interesting Carter Worth segment, which was Applesoft versus Amazoogle, I think he called yes. it. And how the Amazon-Google part it. of the trade was actually set to break out because Apple and Microsoft had already broken out so much. So that, that was interesting to me. I, I, and that's happening or has happened in the last few days. I, I think the run is getting a little bit longer. Oh, what I'm saying, Guy Dami, is yes, if, if Ma goes up and Ga goes down, or you know what I'm saying, if half go up and half go down, mm-hmm. can, can the, the broader market still rally correct. to the extent that we've seen over the last... do we need the these last... four Clydesdales, which have been mm-hmm. pulling that cart that Tim's been talking about, rightly so, can the market do or it? Can, or can, to Carter and Karen's point, can two take the helm from the other two and still have this market? Dan is shaking his head. Let me mention this quickly. Microsoft traded two times normal volume today, made an all-time high reverse close lower. That's something to watch. Now, 24 hours does not a day make, Brian, but if this continues, then you might have put in... Doesn't? No. Well, you know what I mean. Sorry. Let me just tell you what's different this time right now. Okay, when you think of 2019, Apple gained 100% in calendar year. Earnings and sales growth were flat year over year. Their main product, their iPhone units, did not grow. So what was that doing? Their multiple doubled. Microsoft obviously had high single digits earnings and sales growth in 2019. But its multiple got to basically a record high in the last 15 years, trading 13, 32 times or something like that. So that's what's different this time. I'm not even going to go back to 20 years. These companies did not have that sort of profitability or the moats or anything about it. But that's what's different right now. I think that 2019 pulled forward a lot of good news, especially it's reflected in their multiples. And by the way, one of those four names has something we're going to talk about right now, exposure to China and potentially the coronavirus. So we've got some breaking news right now for you, new numbers crossing on that coronavirus outbreak. Let's get them right now 
with Meg Terrell back at CNBC. Meg. Hey, Brian. Well, the numbers coming from Hubei province, the epicenter of the outbreak in China. Confirmed cases rose by 1,638, and an additional 94 deaths were confirmed, bringing the toll to more than 1,100. And we will get more numbers from China later this evening from all of China, but a note that the country has changed the way it's counting confirmed cases. So now, someone who tests positive for the virus but doesn't have symptoms won't be considered a confirmed case. And last night's new case numbers were markedly lower than previous days, and tonight's even more so, guys, and that could explain why. And of course, there is skepticism that China may have changed its methodology to keep the case counts lower. Infectious disease experts I've been talking with today say epidemiologically, it would be optimal to be counting all positive cases. And we should also note that the disease now has an official name, COVID-19. That's for coronavirus disease first seen in 2019. The World Health Organization noting they needed to find a name that didn't reference a place, a group of people, or even an animal for concerns around stigma those names can create. They don't want another swine flu or a mad cow disease, Brian. Back over to you. All right, COVID-19. Meg Terrell, thank you very much. Well, let's talk more now about the impact of the coronavirus on the impact on investors, the market, and your money. Joining us now is John Hancock's chief investment strategist, Emily Rowland, for her Fast Money debut. Emily, welcome, by the way. Clap her in, clap her in. And uh, what a night to come in. Uh, Unfortunately, we're coming off that news. I wish it was a little bit better news. Um, If you had John Hancock to say the most important thing for our viewers' money in the markets is coronavirus, is it the Fed, is it earnings, what would you pick? So you obviously read my note. Those were my three top things that we're focused on right now. And I think, you know, if I had to choose one, I think it would really be the Fed or central banks globally. You think about all of the geopolitical risks that markets have been presented with this year, whether it's Iran, whether it's the coronavirus, never, ever fight the Fed. Right. Never, ever fight central banks. And you've seen Chinese even in the face of a potential global pandemic. You've seen Chinese policymakers respond with an epic amount of stimulus, over $300 billion just in the past week. So markets have really reacted to that. The challenge now is that we're seeing portions of the yield curve re-inverting. I don't know if that's a word. They're inverted again. And that's putting the Fed in a really tough position. Can you believe they just added all that stimulus and now the yield curve's inverted again? They're in a tough spot. All right, let me ask you a hypothetical. Let's say we start, we have really good earnings, yeah. right? And we get really strong economic data. And people start to question the Fed's resolve or even their desire to, to be helpful to this market. Is that really bad for the market? I think, we don't want that good data? I think it's a great question, and I think it is. Because I think markets are reliant on this now. Think about not QE, Right. The Fed increased their balance sheet by over four hundred billion dollars at the end of last year. Now, they've said that they're going to continue $60 billion dollars a month, maybe until tax season, maybe beyond. What if we start to see that sort of pulled away? I think the end of not QE is one of the bigger risks to the markets this year. Yeah, it's interesting. Emily. We talk about this a lot. Welcome. But is it the Fed's? You talk about the Fed in the market. I understand that because that's what everybody says. But why do we do that? The Fed in the market should be about as far apart as the economy and the market are. Is that a fair point? I think it is, but I think it's too late for that. You know, the the markets are hanging on every single word from Jay Powell. I think he's stuck to the script over the last couple of days, reiterating their neutral stance, but watching out for coronavirus. I think the other thing here is is to think about the earnings backdrop. You know, you look into 2020, 9% earnings growth expected for the S&P 500. A lot of that expected to come from highly cyclical parts of the market, industrials, materials, energy. We think that you need to really see some kind of meaning 
meaningful reacceleration in the economy to get there. Well, we can bring it together. Listen, our viewers, the smartest out there, so they all know this, but I think it bears repeating anyway, Dan. It, the Fed, cheap money, issue corporate debt, use the cash, buy back your shares, shrink your share count. Make your EPS go up. Yeah, right. And it used to be that, you know, the easy money was there for corporations to actually, uh, you know, buy or spend on capital expenditures higher, get the economy going. We haven't really seen that, though, in the since we had the rate cuts in July and since we've seen the Fed expansion of the balance sheet. Yeah, I mean, buybacks are absolutely fueling this market. Look at where the retail funds are going. Mm -hmm. $80 billion out of equity funds last year in a year where the market was up 32%. Now, granted, that was all multiple expansion, and we can certainly talk about that, but this is definitely an environment where the market's got a lot of things going right. Everything's awesome. What is it, 22%? I'm just throwing out was, numbers. Uh, I hope Teagan, right. Sarah and Teagan? 22% awesome? of, of available stock has come out of the market through buybacks over the past couple. Yeah. Think about that. One-fifth of the market is gone. Yep. And sure makes those EPS numbers easier to hit. Especially for tech, but, MAGA. Fang, whatever you want to call it. But Emily, so it, you, you're, you're highlighting the trepidation that we should all have about where we are in the cycle, but it's the only year central banks in the last 10 started to pull in 2018, and globally they were all effectively doing it, yeah. was the year markets got slammed. They all got scared. They all ran for the door. Um, why should that change now? Well, think about it. It worked. If you look at something like the leading economic indicators, it has not gone negative in the U.S. for over 10 years. And the reason for that is because in times like 2011, sovereign debt crisis, 2015, 16, when China's economic growth was falling off a cliff, what happened? Right? More liquidity. So now it's just this balance of how do they get out of it? I don't think they know how to get Biggest out Biggest risk to the market then is what? Quickly, Emily. The end of not QE and earnings growth Which is, by the way, in April. Isn't April when they're yeah. going to start rolling this program For off? For now. Well, our viewers should mark their calendars. Yeah. Yep. Emily Rowland. Great but, stuff, by the way. Thank you. Good stuff. Yeah, and, and with first quarter GDP in the U.S. that's now been downgraded to 1%, it's going to be really tough for the Fed to be reeling stuff well, in when the economy is coming off of it, even if it's corona and that's supposed to be one-off. And downgraded globally. You know, this morning on uh, Squawk and Friends, there was a great, uh, Rashir Sharma of Morgan Stanley yeah. Investment Management had a really interesting stat that the U.S. stock market, okay, makes up 50%, 56% of global market capitalization, 56%. Our economy makes up 25% of the GDP. I think that's at the widest spread it's ever been. There's something wrong at that point, especially when you see these sorts or of shocks. Or right with us because the world is afraid and bringing their money here. Right, but it goes back to the MAGA yeah, But our capital too, right? market's it's getting I, a bit... We I, should I don't get love a premium, that stat. maybe not 100%. Rashir's a really bright guy, yeah. and he's been at it a long time, but, but our, our capital markets are so much more liquid than all these other economies in the world that are growing that are the ones that are making our economy proportionally less of the global GDP. I, U.S. is always going to be the safety trade, and, and in a difficult market, and I think this is what Emily's saying, she's not even here, I think we've goodbyed the guest, so, um, but uh, I do think that's an environment where you could see U.S. outperformance, we've seen it before. Well, he's making the, the exact opposite case, though, just so you know, that the rest of the world is going to start to outperform because of that spread. And quickly, Brian, you brought this up, but one of the many unintended consequences of the Fed, it's made corporate America lazy because they've been able to do exactly what you said and not have to focus on their business, because guess what, if the stock goes up, everybody's happy. That's that's a problem. Macala, making corporate America lazy again. It's a new acronym. Emily, thank you. Great stuff. Welcome back anytime. <laughs> up from Mobble, Mobblehead. You got it. Mobblehead I'm Mass. Mobblehead. Yep. You and the Gorton and Gluster. All right, up next. Will everybody flip out over foldable phones or will flip flop? We'll talk about it. Plus, is Facebook's fantastic run finally finished? One analyst thinks so. We're back in two minutes.
All right, welcome back to Fast Money. The world's biggest smartphone maker, it's not Apple, just unveiled their newest phone, and they're making a big bet that people are going to flip out over foldable. Let's get out of Josh Lipton at Samsung's big unpacked event in San Francisco. Josh, you have touched this device. It's bringing us back to the Motorola Razor of the late 90s. you got to be of a certain age to remember that. How does it look? So, Brian, so here at this Samsung event in San Francisco, saw a lot of new hardware, a lot of new phones, but the star of the show, you are correct, sir, it was this new folding phone. I'm going to show it to you guys. This is the Galaxy Z Flip. So what you're looking at there, Brian, that is a 4.2-inch device, but it comes with a 6.7-inch glass display. So that's a lot of display in a pretty small form factor. The release date February 14th, the price is $1,380. Now the question becomes, how excited are consumers about that phone? Are they excited enough to spend $1,400? And you got to get developers excited because they're the ones, those are the men and women who have to spend the time and the money to now create these cool, compelling experiences for that product. Of course, another question, Samsung, how much marketing uh, dollars are they going to put behind this product? wasn't just a folding phone, though. You also saw them come out with their new S20 lineup. They came up with three versions of that new phone, all 5G enabled, new camera system, new secure processor, faster charger. Those devices are going to start at $1,200 and $1,400. If you look at Samsung and just judge by market share, it's still, you're right, Brian, does dominate in terms of the smartphone industry, but it is facing pressure from names like Huawei, which saw its market share climb sharply higher in 2019. From other Chinese vendors, too, like Xiaomi, it competes with Samsung in certain emerging markets. But today, what this company was saying, listen, they intend to be a leader in 5G. There's plenty of analysts who think that technology is going to be a real tailwind for the smartphone industry. Uh, Samsung, too, remember, their average selling prices have actually been falling. So 5G, though, those phones, those are kind of a higher price tag. That could send those ASBs higher. Brian, back to you. All right, Josh Lipton. Josh, thank you very much. Tim, let's talk about this. I mean, let's I talk. guess you could buy in the in the Korean market. You could go buy Samsung on the local exchange. You can, exchange, buy, you can buy. It actually trades in the OTC markets, which we don't encourage people to do, except for some big market cap stocks like this. This is a mega cap, so it actually trades with a lot of liquidity. I think there's multiple catalysts for Samsung. First of all, they've got 30% of, of their market cap in cash. This is a company that could do a lot. Remember how excited we got about what Apple was doing? Uh, I think the headwinds on display, uh, whether it's you know OLED and, and certainly LCD has been under some pressure, I think is more than compensated by uh, volume growth in DRAM and in NAND. And, and look, their iPhone, iPhone business, their <laughs> smartphone business is certainly a, a global stalwart that I think is, is never going to be knocked out of the game. So this is a company, though, you're looking at mega cap tech, 12 and a half times forward PE when everything else has had a huge rally. Samsung up 40 percent since September is still in value territory. But is it is it you know, Dan, is it that versus Apple? There's enough room for two. This, this, they might have yeah, a hot a flip phone, but Apple's going to be Well, fun. interestingly enough, there's enough room for five, and you really want to focus on China. This is the emerging market play from here on out, and so Samsung with 85% Android market share globally, I mean, that's the play. You're also seeing, um, you know, a tremendous push towards more nationalistic. Look at, you know, Apple has moved from, I think, number two in market share in smartphones in China to maybe four or five behind Huawei, Oppo, um, Xiaomi. There's some others in there. 
obviously Samsung um, plays in that backyard too. So to me, I, I just got to say this again. I saw Craig Moffat on the network. I think it was on the closing bell earlier talking about 5G. If you're investing in 5G right now for a 2020 upgrade cycle, um, I just don't think it's really going to materialize anytime soon. And the hit to the supply chain in China is the thing that moves it out. That is the Q3, Q4 surprise, in my opinion. All right. Coming up, it is your call of the day. Why one analyst says one of the FANG stocks is going to fall fast. Fast. Plus, hmm, why is Bitcoin going bananas right now? We're going to appeal the crypto story. And as always, we are live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. There is more fast money straight ahead. All right, welcome back. CNBC has another big interview coming your way tomorrow. Deirdre Bosa with an exclusive interview with Goldman Sachs chairman and CEO David Solomon. That is coming up tomorrow, 4 p.m. Eastern time on The Closing Bell. DJ Sol. All right, sell Facebook. So says Pivotal Research. It is your call of the day. Pivotal's Michelle, Michael Levine, rather, mm-hmm. now says sell the stock. And it's a big headline. It says it's possible, possible. The federal government will try to break up Facebook and ad spending could drop off due to what he calls a loss of signal for the consumer. Shares did react today, Karen. They fell nearly 3%. You think there's a chance the federal government could come after Facebook? I mean, the, the administration saying they're going to go back, look, 10 years of tech deals yeah. look for antitrust. I don't know how you unscramble some of the eggs, though, of tech, tech deals that are 10 years old and ha- that have been integrated already. I mean, good for the analyst for making a bold call. He did have a buy on it for a long time. So, I mean, that's uh, that, good for him. I don't, I'm more optimistic. He talks about uh, cookie apocalypse, I think, in the, in the piece and about how this will hurt their earnings. And they'll be, I think he has 17 times EPS uh, a couple of years out as uh, sort of the target multiple to trade it. I think it's sort of a premier business that uh, deserves a premium multiple. Who knows where the market will be then? I'm long. He does make some interesting points, but I'm long. I still think it's it's a decent value here. Yeah, here, here's the here's the bottom line. What he's saying is what we are afraid will be the next shoe to drop is colon. Signal loss equals lower ROIs, return on investments, equals an implosion in native DTC, direct-to-consumer ad spend. Is there an ad risk here with Facebook? Not in court in their quarters, the last quarters they've seen. I mean, people don't leave and their advertisers don't leave. But who knows what could happen going forward. In terms of the stock, I mean, this, I think his price target is 180 or so, if I'm not mistaken. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, this was a $125 stock, gapped up to 225 The 50% retracement is basically that, 175 Your level is the July, and we mentioned 2018. Well, the closing high of that year was around 210. Here we are now. So if you have a close below 210 for a couple of days, that 175 might be right in the crosshairs. And, and we talk about that breakup is catalyst, too. I mean, this isn't necessarily a somber day for Facebook holders when you consider uh, that WhatsApp and Instagram are, are assets that are massive global assets um, that some argue are under monetized. Um, so if you think about why has Facebook underperformed the S&P, not even forget tech, which they've really underperformed, but they've underperformed the S&P by 7% over the last two calendar years. And I think you get to two places. One is this overhang. You talk about the regulatory side and related to that is is management. I, I don't think the market is willing to give this management team any kind of a multiple. And I think we've seen that now for more than two years. Zuckerberg needs to go. No comment. That's just. Not I don't. Happening. You know. I don't know that that's the I mean, answer. Well, I'm telling you. The vote. I know you keep say it's not happening, but Tim said the management team is not getting a multiple Look, in the market. I mean, if you think this, this Facebook is a, in many ways is the internet. 
This is a management team that, that I think there's a lack of trust in, but more importantly, has told you that they have issues with their business in terms of how they're going to control security, how they're going to control privacy. They're constantly tinkering. They need to. But this is a cost also related to their business that continues to go higher and that we cannot measure. Hey, listen, you know, Zuckerberg's got bigger issues. If they get 2020 election wrong the way they did it at 16, there's going to be people with pitforks at the Menlo Park, um, you know, headquarters there. So I like do. this, this well, I'm just saying this is a really big year. Um, and some of the actions that they've already taken, I think, on free speech and stuff, don't really lend itself to, you know, I, I, listen, it's a two, this is a bipartisan thing right here. It'd be great to see them get, uh, get things together. I will just mention this. It's such an odd stance by the administration at this point in election year where it really, this was a huge benefit to this company. I think they ran six and a half million ads on Facebook. This is the Trump campaign from June to November in 2016. It clearly helped this election process, they are already in the, in the works to do it all over again. So I just kind of find it weird that they're going to just take such an aggressive stance to maybe break this company up at this point when this is a pretty important year. Okay, coming up, with earnings on deck, will this name pop or drop? There's your chart. We're going to run through it. Plus, drops. Remember those? Yeah, sure. let's get a sneak peek on the Kramer cam. Jim, speaking of the CEO of Columbia Sportswear. Of course, you can catch that whole thing tonight on Mad Money at 6 o'clock Eastern. That, and after that... The latest CNBC special on the coronavirus outbreak. All the latest numbers, the impact of the world, the economy. That is tonight at 7 o'clock Eastern time tonight. You won't want to miss that as well. We're back on Fast Money right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. If you thought that earnings season was over, you got to think again. There is a huge technology company set to report tomorrow after the bell. And the options market is betting the stock could take off. Let's break down the options action of Mike Co out in San Francisco. Mike, who is this mystery giant? Yeah, the mystery giant we're talking about today is Cisco. So Cisco saw about two times the average daily call volume today. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about 5% higher or lower by the end of the week. That's actually less than the 5.2% move that the stock has averaged the day after they've reported over the last eight quarters. Where we saw the most activity was buying the 50-and-a-half strike weekly calls that expire this Friday. They were paying just over 70 cents for those. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that the stock's going to rise above that 50-and-a-half strike price by the amount of money that they paid. That would represent an increase of at least 4% by the end of the week. And if we take a look at how the stock has behaved, over the course of the last year or so, we can see that it has materially underperformed the market. And right now, seeing that implied move being less than the average, we know that the options are cheaper than they usually are going into earnings. So this is an intelligent way to basically manage your risk going into this to make a bullish bet. The final point I would make, on the last conference call, we heard Chuck Robbins use the word challenging several times as he described a slowing macroeconomic environment. And we can see that when we take a look at the P.E. multiple of Cisco, that the market obviously was not anticipating that much good news in Cisco, certainly relative to the S&P, which has seen nothing but multiple expansion. So for those of you who are thinking that might have a bullish bump after earnings, right now options are cheap, and I think it's a good way to make a hedged bet to the upside. 
Yeah, I think Mike lays it out pretty great. I mean, listen, defined risk to the upside. If you think it's going to break above that $50 level that's been um, resistance, it's really important. Remember, Mike referenced that last quarter where Chuck Robbins said they have a challenged environment. I'm not so sure much has changed in the last three months. The dollar is higher. The trade war situation is not that much better. The coronavirus thing is worse. So there's less demand from that part of the region where they get, I, I think, 30 percent of their sales from Asia Pacific, that sort of thing. So to me, I, you know, I, I'm kind of skeptical. I think it's a very very important report with 75% of the S&P 500 already reporting and missing a lot of the Corona stuff. What they have to say is going to be very important tomorrow night. Yeah. And, and I think that the company still kind of trades on yesterday's fundamentals versus tomorrow's. I, I think the margin profile of this company is so much different and so much better since they're moving to security and software. This is not necessarily the hardware company you grew up with. I think it's one of the value plays in mega cap tech. And in fact, it's a name I'm long to be clear. It's a name I think actually is, is moved very much into the security space, like the Expedia News. Whatever you, the Expedia, the Experian, who's the, 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 uh, yeah, Equifax. Equifax. Equifax, excuse me, the other one, sorry, Experian, definitely wasn't you. Um, it, it's a case where you, you highlight the risks right now that are going on in security, and I think Cisco's right in the middle of that trade. It wasn't Expedian, it wasn't Expeditors nah, either, was, which is the free company. It was not enough company. sleep last night. It was, sorry. It's all right. No, no. Good stuff. Hey. All right, so Cisco, tomorrow night, a big deal, according to Dan. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show this Friday, of course, every Friday. 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, call it the Bitcoin bounce or digital dynamism. Just don't call it a comeback mm. because Bitcoin has been here for years and we're going to dig in on a rather stealthy rally. Stick around. How's that for a graphic? Uh, Bitcoin's boom time continues back above 10,000. Get this. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Bitcoin is now up 44% this year. So, Tim, we went from like zero to 20,000, back to 4,000, now back to 10,000. Is anything different this time around? I think what's different is, first of all, you've shaken out a lot of weak players. You've shaken out a lot of the momentum. You've certainly gone further down the road in terms of institutional uh, you know, follow through. You've certainly had major banks in the world talk about their own blockchain platforms. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. Gold's been rallying. Why shouldn't Bitcoin be rallying? I, I mean, I agree with you. I think that last part, if you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, as Guy thinks it has, or all, all the central banks going nuts, I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin, plus institutional interest as well. Yeah, but listen, so we got rates lower, we got gold up, we got utilities up, we got Bitcoin up, so it's all acting like safe haven. That just takes me back to the MAGA trade. What's going on there that just seems very bifurcated in this market where they're doing that heavy lifting, but these other things that we identify as safe haven assets have really perked up Possible in 2020. Possible coronavirus impact here. I know a lot of the buyers come from that part of the world, and you wonder if they're looking to protect their money, maybe hiding it in Bitcoin. Perhaps. But I do think to Karen's point, I, mean, I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor, Brian. And well, it certainly has been a 44 percent this year. All right. It is that time. The final trade. Why don't we go around the table? Tim Seymour, kick it off. Before we do, we have some special guests in the house. We have the School of St. Thomas Aquinas here. Also, Dwight Englewood in the house. Business scholars. Give them a round of applause. We can't show them. We can show them. Yeah, there they are. Do whatever we want. All right. 
And now we're cents. back. Alibaba, mega cap tech. Who needs Samsung? Alibaba. Oh, I love that one. Uh, I'm the seller of Apple calls. I think it's had really a very far run, some downside. Yeah, on the back of that, I think Apple start struggling here at 320. I think Microsoft reversal is kind of interesting. If you want to short MAGA, short the QQQ. You know, it's interesting. I heard from some of the members of ABBA and their avid Fast Money fans. So a shout out to the ABBA group Frida? out there watching. I believe it was Frida, yes, yeah. number one. Number two, JetBlue seems to be breaking out, Brian. Watching JetBlue. All right, guys, really appreciate that. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to Fast Krona tonight. Mad Money with Jim Graber starts right now. It's a Swedish joke. Mad with Jim starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.